All right, would you grab your Bibles with me now and turn to Genesis 39. We're in this series, in this last section in Genesis, focusing on trusting God. And our focus is going to be uh, on a man who is the, the primary character in this last 13 or so chapters of Genesis, a man named Joseph. And we Looked at him last week, quick review, if you weren't with us, we looked at a a broad scope of his entire life and said that from his life, we can learn that we can not only trust God, we can trust God always, in every place, at every time, in every circumstance, always. Why? Because he is always with us. When we have trusted in him, what has he done? He has poured his spirit into our hearts, so that wherever he goes, we go, and wherever we go, he goes. We are one with him. So you're, you're never beyond him. You can trust him because he's always with you, and he's always working for his redemptive purpose, what we just prayed about, for his glory being true among all peoples, all nations around the globe. He's always working, and he's always using us. We are instruments of God so that more people will find more life in Jesus. So why can we always trust God? Because of his presence. He's always with us. Because of his purpose. He is working for his glory. And because of his plan is that it includes, it includes us. His purposes are intended to be fulfilled through us. That is his plan, is to use people. So we can always trust him. Now, this morning, we're going to look at a specific event in Joseph's life to understand that we can not only trust him always, we can, in a very specific way, trust God in the midst of temptation. All right. So let's keep this real. Who in here, and if you're over in North, you're watching online, you you can respond. Who in here is tempted? All right. All of us. Yes. All right. Unless you're trying to write something down right now, you have your hand up, right? All of us are tempted. Agreed? Which of us are losing? Losing to temptation. If you don't have your hand up, you're on a quick path to heaven, like right here, because, because until you're in heaven, you're losing. Now, I'm not saying you're sorry, losers. I'm saying all of us lose temptation, right? Right? Okay. I, I want to keep this real because we're going to see Joseph experience temptation and not lose. And I want us to be able to walk away this morning going, I am better equipped to love God by resisting temptation. Because all of us are tempted and all of us are losing. We're, we're yielding to it. But this is a little hard for me because pastors aren't tempted. Really, I was like, I'm not tempted. So I asked my good friend Mark, tell me what it means to be tempted. So he gave me a list. So I'll just read the list of what y'all are tempted with. I'm joking, obviously. I'm tempted just like you are. To what? To lie, to steal, to be prideful, to worry, to hate, to lust, to envy, to be greedy, to be profane, drunkenness, immorality, jealousy, 
grumbling, complaining, to be bitter, to withhold forgiveness, to speak up when I should shut up, to be silent when I should speak up, to take revenge, to quit, to be lazy. So, I mean, that was Mark's quick lust. No, did you find yourself there? Sure, all of us are tempted in those ways. And all of us are losing in some of those ways. So, as we look at the text together, let's not keep it theoretical. Keep it real. Just in your head, I won't make you write it down because that would, might be a little too much. But in your head, think, where am I being tempted? Where am I yielding to that temptation? It's not to the glory of God. It's not what God intends me to do. But I'm yielding to that temptation and think in that way because if you think real, then the truth, which is real, will be really helpful to you today. All right? So we're going to look at the first seven verses of Genesis 39, and we're going to simply see some temptation realities, things that are true for Joseph that are true for all of us. It says like this, first follow along, verse seven verses. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Notice that he had been taken, he didn't go down, he was taken down. To Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him. So, in other words, Joseph was a slave who had been bought from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. But the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man, a slave, but successful. And he was in the house of his his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw, watch this, that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his land, in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his, Potiphar's, personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of... of, Why did he bless Potiphar and his whole household? On the account of Joseph. And just pause in the text and let me have your eyes. You realize that one of the basic purposes that God has kept his children, you and I, who have trusted in him on the planet, in our communities, is that we would be a blessing to them. That that our presence, because the presence of God is in us, that we would be light in darkness. That we would be a blessing in a fallen world. And I just want to... I want to encourage each of us to ask the question. Are people glad that you work where you work? Because they have a sense that God's blessing and his blessing is upon you. He blesses his children. I don't mean he's, don't think like wealth and blessing. Presence. The presence of God is blessing and the presence of God is in his children. So wherever you go, wherever you work, wherever you live, whatever family God has placed you in, 
they are to experience the blessing of God because the presence of God in you is with you. That's what happens for Potiphar. And actually, you know, he is no dummy. He sees, man, God's hand is upon him. I'd like God's hand upon me. I'd like to put him more in charge of me. In fact, it says, the Lord's blessing was upon him, all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. Potiphar is actually no dummy. He, he sees that it's not Joseph, it's the God of Joseph. And he's going, I'm going to yield more and more to Joseph because as I do, I experience that blessing. I, I want increasingly it to be true that if CFC abandoned Mandarin, It'd be a loss to Mandarin. That if you moved out of your neighborhood, out of, off your street, the, the, they would not throw a party. That there goes the obnoxious Christian. But they, they would go, oh man, it's been great having you on our street. He... Uh, so he puts everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he didn't concern himself with anything, anything except the food which he ate. Now, and this seems like, where'd this come from? Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It's like, okay, uh, why are you telling us that? He's telling us that not because of everything he said thus far. He's telling us that because of what he's about to say. It came about after these events that his master, Potiphar's wife, who's actually never named in the scripture, we just know her as Potiphar's wife, looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. Subtle woman, huh? Now that, that is very direct, a blatant sexual advance to Potiphar's right-hand person. Potiphar's off at work doing what he does and she sees Joseph who's not only successful, he is handsome and in form and appearance and she, no other say it, she gets a crush on him and goes, let's have sex. Now, let me ask you, was Joseph tempted? You go, well, of course he was tempted. Well, he was tempted in the sense that, and understand this difference, he was tempted in the sense that he was being given an opportunity to do something that was wrong. That's in, a sense, in essence temptation, right? He was being given an opportunity to be intimate with someone who was not his wife, which scripture clearly says, not right. So he was being tempted in that way. But was he tempted in the sense like, oh, wow. Was he? Yeah. Here's what's funny. I always thought yes, but then I realized I have no idea. I, I mean, it, it tells us what Joseph is, but we don't know anything about Potiphar's wife. Maybe he was like, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> you know, that's so rude. Well, it could be true. For all we know, she's like 150 years old. 
Now, probably not. But my point is this. Here's the reality of temptation. It may vary by type and intensity. In other words, not all temptation is sexual temptation, right? Whatever you're thinking about in terms of when we said think of a temptation that's real that you may be losing, some of you may be thinking really a sexual temptation. Others are thinking there's lots of different types of temptation. That's why I read them all. That's why I got them from Mark. But there's different intensity, right? I mean, some temptations are much more tempting than others. But it's real for everyone. So what's real and intense for you now? And I want you to think that way because here's something that, that I'm really grateful for. Grateful for. There are things that, that I have been tempted, like really tempted with intensity in the past that I'm no longer tempted by. It might freak you out, but there was a time in my life way too early that I was very tempted by and losing to shoplifting and to personal property destruction. It was like a juvenile delinquent. I looked for things to destroy and for smoking marijuana. You'll be glad to know I don't struggle with those things anymore. <laughs> really, I don't go through a store and go, oh, I wonder if I could like, grab that and then celebrate with a joint. So I, I, here you go, really? You're going to say that? Sure, there are things, is it not true? The things that you were tempted by at some point in your life where you're like, I, I don't really like wrestle with, what can I destroy around here? Could I throw a rock through the window? That was real. It's no longer real. Once you start paying for windows, you don't have any desire to like throw rocks through them anymore. But I did, and I don't. Does that mean I'm not tempted anymore? No, it just means they vary by type and intensity, but they're real. And so let's keep it real. Don't think past, don't think safe, think real right now. And recognize this. The intensity of how you're tempted is often connected to how the rest of life is going. Sometimes attempting a tempting situation is even more tempting because what else is going on? And it can happen both ways. Here, here's what I mean. A temptation that happens when there is adversity in your life is powerful. A, a temptation that might not be always as powerful is even more powerful when there's adversity. Why? Because we may feel as if God has abandoned us. A, and that whole idea that God, you've abandoned me. Why would, why would I try and please you? And you think, oh, you would never think that. Of course you would. God's been far. God's been distant. I don't feel very close. Not very motivated to please him. In adversity, you might be tempted by fear more than usual, by worry, more than usual, by anger, more than usual. Hey, when a guy's facing adversity at work, he's far more tempted to be short at home. Just 
the way it is. Now, why, am I making this up or is this from the text? All you have to do is think about what we know about Joseph. What's it say? He had been taken down to Egypt after and then bought as a slave after God had given him a dream that he would rule over his family. Do you, can we acknowledge that it would have been easy for Joseph to go, what's up, God? Where are you? What about these dreams? How have you abandoned me? I'm a foreigner in a strange land. I'm a slave. I'm not ruling except my master's house. Sometimes people sin against God because they're mad at God. I mean, probably none of us, but we know people like that. Can the opposite be true? Uh, Can temptation and prosperity be powerful? Yeah, why? Because in prosperity, who needs the Lord? See, I could see both sides in Joseph's life. He goes there feeling abandoned, sold, rejected, betrayed. But after years, what's happening? Ah, he's in charge. And he's good looking. And he's fit. He's the full package. He can kind of have whatever he would like. Listen, ever been tempted to sin because life's gone so good? I mean, who needs the Lord? You may be tempted to selfishness far more in times of prosperity than you were in adversity. Or tempted to laziness in times of prosperity far more than you were in adversity. Here's my question. And there's not a right or a wrong here. There's just you and me. When, are, when do temptations take greater power in your life? Think about it. In times of adversity or times of prosperity? I'm not going to hold you to this, but your, your first thought. How many of you, by a show of hands, would go, I think for me it's adversity? All right? How many think for me it's Prosperity? That's so interesting. Same deal Thursday night. Almost equally split. And I think, I think for me, when I look back, I go, adversity has driven me to God. So I think for me it would be prosperity. But I hate that because I'm telling the Lord, Lord, I'm I'm more susceptible when I'm prosperous. (laughs) I'd like to say, Lord, I'm really susceptible when things are horrible. That was stupid. I don't know if I can fool the Lord. But all of us, these are temptation realities. You're not going to win till you're a little more honest about where you're tempted, where you're losing, and how you're sometimes yielding because you're mad at God or you're yielding because you've grown independent from God. Here's the greatest, most important reality. No temptation to a child of God is more than he can resist. None. You know, spoiler alert, he refused, Joseph does. We're going to see how and why in a moment, but he refused. And it's a reminder 
that a young man in a strange place can be tempted in a very real way and not sin. And you can be tempted in ways that seem very real, that are literally very tempting to you, and still say no. How do I know that for sure? As the scripture promises, one of the greatest promises of scripture. In fact, if you've never memorized a verse in the Bible, this would be a great one to start with. Because all of us, rarely do I get a show of hands for everything, but we got it for temptation and losing. So here we go. Here's, here's a promise worth memorizing. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So you can think it's unique. You can think, well, I've got a rough road and I have a unique path and nobody's been tempted like me. Eyes for a second. Don't think yourself so special. All temptation, pretty common. But what else is true? God is faithful. Faithful in what way? In this way, that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. In other words, this whole idea of I couldn't resist, it was just too much, not true. He won't tempt you beyond what you're able. But actually, instead of tempting you beyond what you're able, he's going to, with that temptation, actually give you, provide you a way of escape so that you can endure it. That's the promise. Now, how can it be true that I'll never be tempted beyond what I'm able, but I lose all the time? How can he really promise that you and I will never, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the adversity, the prosperity, the type of, will never be tempted beyond what we're able? How can he promise that? Here's how. Hebrews 4 declares, we do not have a high priest. And who we're talking about here is Jesus, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He can. Why? Because he has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he's the one guy who could go, tempted, never lost. Nobody else gets to say that. Jesus is, is the one guy in the room that goes, Hand down. And with that reality, here's the invitation. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, where the high priest is, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. And here's what we miss. In time of need. So let me boil this down very, very simply. Not only does the high priest who was tempted and never sinned live within us through the person of the Holy Spirit, he not only dwells within us so that we have everything that we need for life and for godliness, he also says, I will not only be in you, if in the time of need you will cry out to me and ask for help in the time of need, I will... I'll help. I'll give grace and mercy to help. So, connect the two. Therefore, if that's true, 
you can never be tempted beyond what you're able. There'll always be a way of escape. Why? Because the one who is without sin dwells within you. And he has said, hey, I'm available anytime, any place, any situation. Just ask me. Here's the problem. Well, it was for me. Uh, a guy named Robertson McQuilkin, uh, president of Columbia when I was in Bible college there, he said, most Christians, when it comes to prayer, crying out to God in time uh, about temptation, most Christians pray about temptation before the temptation, help, and then after the temptation, I'm sorry. But very few pray in the time of need, in the temptation. And he simply made, I'll never forget this, a young Bible college student, he said, I can promise you that if you will take this verse and genuinely believe it and live by it, you will always win over temptation because you cannot be genuinely crying out and praying to God and sin at the same time. And I realized when I yield to temptation, I may have prayed about it, but at some point before I yield to temptation, what do I stop doing? I stop asking for help. Why? I said, I don't want help anymore. I want to sin. Now, that's kind of an ugly thing to admit about your heart, but let's just admit it. That before we sin, even though we would pray and say maybe, I didn't want to, there's a point where we go, okay, I don't want to say no anymore. I want to say yes. And so we stop praying and start sinning. I don't want us to undersell at all this incredible promise that no temptation is beyond what we can bear because he has been tempted in every way, didn't sin, is within us and says, if you'll ask me in the time of need, in the time of need. Now, have you ever been in the time of need and prayed, but then still sin? Uh-huh, I have, why? Because just because I prayed didn't mean the time of need stopped. How long do I need to keep asking Lord in the time of need? As long as the time of need lasts. Why do I sin? Because I might start praying, but I stop before the time of need has passed. You may go, I'm not sure this is really true, duck. I hope you're thinking that. I'm not sure this is really true. Because if you think, I'm not sure that's really true, try it this week. Seriously. When tempted, in a time where you've been failing, say, all right, Lord, you said that you would meet me in my time of need. I need mercy and grace right now. I'm going to stay in your presence, thinking about you, crying out to you, remembering what you have done for me. And I'm going to do that until the temptation I think your experiment will go, wow, it's true. 
because God promised never too much. I will always, always give you a way of escape if you ask for it. We, we either we don't ask or we ask, like, well, I prayed about it on Sunday. I don't know why he didn't help me Tuesday night. I asked him Sunday morning. We tend to ask before the time of need <laughs> and after we blew it, but rarely in it. I think I will make a huge, huge difference. All right. What do we learn from Joseph? Next set of section of verses from Genesis 39. But he refused. So there it is. Just say no. Uh, That's important. There's just a lot more. Because I I grew up being told, no, 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 no. And it wasn't that helpful. Just made me more guilty. He refused and said to his master's wife, behold with me here. Now, listen, it's always helpful to go, before I read the text, what am I looking for? So he refused. Excellent. Why? Here's why. With me here, my, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in, that, in the house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you. Because, small fact here, you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil? Sin against God. See, he not only says no, don't miss why he says no. Why does he refuse? Oh, it's great that a case study in overcoming temptation is he refuses. Excellent, but why? He refuses because first, because of who he was. And if we're going to refuse what we have not been refusing, whether it's been grumbling or adultery, if we're going to refuse, it's going to be because of who we are. Don't miss it. He said, I'm the one he trusted with everything except you. This would be a, a clear breach of who I am. So who are you, child of God? You're a new creature. That's who you are. Old things, the temptations you used to say yes to, gone. New things have come. It begins by acknowledging who I am. I'm not who I used to be. In Christ, I'm not who I, I don't say yes to the things that I used to say yes to and I don't say no to the things I used to say no to because I am a new person. New things have come and here's what new has come. I am dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This doesn't mean I'm not tempted anymore. It means that I am no longer a slave to sin. Sin's mastery over me is done. It's gone. 
Old things have passed away. New has come. What's the new that has come? Now I am alive to God. I used to be alive to sin, but dead to God. But now in Christ, I am dead to sin, but alive to God. Huge difference. This is why when we are genuinely in Christ, our lives are changed. Because we become new people. Like, not just cleaned up radically changed from dead to alive and from alive to dead that's that's as radical as it gets what's the implication therefore don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. In other words, that's the whole foundation for you to stop losing what you've been losing to. That that you would resist temptation because you used to be a slave to it, but you're not anymore. And you used to be dead to God, but you're not anymore. Now you're alive to God. So don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness. That's all. That's gone. The new is come. Present yourselves to God to whom you are now alive to as those alive from the dead. And your members now that used to be members for the serving of you and your desires. No, you're a new person. Therefore, these members, the, the parts of your body are to be instruments for God to do new through instruments of his righteousness so an identity statement that I have said a thousand times I'm a child of God forgiven and set free from slavery to sin the spirit of God lives in me why to do the work of God through me I'm an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus I didn't have to memorize that for this message I crafted it a couple years ago, and I've said it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Not to, not to you on this stage, but to myself in time of need. See, when you think about praying in the time of need, just don't think, oh God, help. Oh God, help, help, help. Oh God, help. Think. Praying. Truth. God. You've made me your child. You've forgiven me. I'm set free. I don't have to obey. Your spirit is in me. I have all that I need for life and for godliness. I do not have to yield here. This body is no longer my instrument for my purposes. This body is now your instrument for your purposes. You can say it. You don't have to. This isn't in the Bible. I made this up for me. If it works for you, use it. Memorize it. Say it a thousand times. Not in church, but when? In time of need. And keep saying it how long? As long as you're in time of need. I'm a child of God, forgiven, set free from slavery to sin. The spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. I'm an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. That might sound silly to you. It's not. You can keep losing or you can try what the scripture Declares, and that is to begin living according to who you now are in Christ. To refuse because of who you are and whose you are. I gotta get rolling here. (laughs) 
So we're going to get rolling. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Why? You've been bought with a price. How? Through what Jesus did on the cross, you have been bought. And therefore, because you've been bought, you glorify God in your body. You not only are a new person in Christ, you have a new owner. In my life, in your life, if you have trusted in Jesus, is about pleasing the new owner, not the old owner. See, it's who we belong to that matters. So, get this. When you're resisting temptation, don't go, God, I sure hope you appreciate this because, man, look at me saying no to stuff that I used to say yes to. You know all you're doing? When you say no to temptation, all you're doing is using the body is purchased to do the things for which it was purchased for. When we feel like, oh man, we're awesome because we say no to temptation because we use this body to serve God, when we feel great about that because like that's awesome, that's like me stealing his wallet, using his credit card to buy stuff for him and going, aren't I great? Anytime I sin, I'm stealing what God has purchased in Christ back from him to use for my purposes. It's not who I am, and it's not whose I am. So it all be, refusal begins with identity. Maybe this is new for you, or maybe you're going, I've heard this before, but you haven't applied it before. The difference between not being tempted and being tempted, because we're all tempted, the difference between losing and winning is learning, not just, hey, say no, it's who you are and whose you are. It begins with our identity. But she was not that quickly put off. She spoke to Joseph day after day. Ever discover that temptation doesn't just like fly in like a butterfly and then just fly away. What's temptation more like? It's more like the fly that keeps landing on your food and you're like, and back and back and and you're like, ah, isn't that right? Doesn't temptation keep landing in you back, back? And sometimes it just never even flies away. It's just, I'm here, Right? Day after day. So what do you do with that? Here's what he does. He didn't listen to her. He keeps refusing, but he takes a new step. Or be with her. It always starts by refusing because of our identity. But we'll often need to take a second step of removing ourselves from tempting situations. Go on, I gotta get away from that woman. <laughs> Remove yourself from the tempting situation. The difference between, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Proverbs chapter 7 is a chapter that traces the path of a young man being enticed by an adulterous woman and his ultimately yielding to her. 
it's not because sexual sin is only a man's deal, by the way. Let's not, let's not think that. It's just the analogy that's used there. And the difference between why Joseph won and why this young man portrayed in Proverbs 7 loses is this, watch. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Now, that's a nice ending, isn't it? If you wonder where temptation is taking you, just remember, it's taking you like an ox to the slaughter. But why does he end up following her suddenly? Because of her many persuasive words. Listen, when you're tempted, you can say, no, 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 okay. Or when you're tempted, you can go, no, no, you're not giving up. He failed because he hung around and listened to the many persuasive words. We got to not only refuse, but learn to remove. It may be people, it may be places, it may be events. Wherever temptation, and again, think broader than sex here. Think bigger than pornography. Think bigger than adultery or fornication. If your temptation is to be a grumbling complainer, can you remove yourself from your circumstances that are hard? Maybe, maybe not. So what do you remove yourself from? All the people who go, uh-huh, you got it bad. I'm grumbling right with you. Some people fan the flame of your complaining, don't they? They like being your, oh, yeah, you got it bad, girl. And they just like, shh. You want to obey the Lord, you got to go, I got to get away from all that oxygen. See, there's bigger, bigger, small. Think about where are you tempted and are you keeping yourself in a place where part of the refusal gets so tiresome because it just keeps many persuasive words so much I'm tired now it happened one day so he's refused he's refused but an exception takes place it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work he couldn't remove himself completely he was the slave and none of the men of the household were there inside so it's just Joseph and just Potiphar's wife and she sees the opportunity and literally seizes the opportunity she caught him by his garment and lots of you were well Doug what was the garment the Hebrew does not tell us what the garment was we don't know exactly what the garment was. All we know is she grabbed him by it. And what's he do? He left the garment in her hand, which she later used to make false accusation against him. And so it must have been something, it wasn't like his top hat. It 
it was great enough evidence to get him thrown into prison. He left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. So he had refused and then he had removed. And what's his only recourse now? He runs. Why? Because you run or you regret one or the other. You run or you regret. And he runs before he regrets. Like I said, I don't know what the garment was, but it must have been a fairly powerful piece of evidence because it got enthroned in prison. My point is this. Never be too proud to flee without your pants. Now that might seem, oh, seriously? That's the biblical point? Yes. Yes. Sometimes, seriously, sometimes it's your pride that keeps you from just bolting because you don't want to look weak. You don't want to look silly. You want to act like, no, this is no big deal. And so you don't run because it might be embarrassing and you end up regret. So don't be afraid to run without your pants. It was probably a little embarrassing for Joseph. But better, better to be embarrassed than regret. The text, hopefully this morning, it gives you and me a real recipe for beginning to win. Everybody's getting an alert all at once, I think. Okay, so can we ignore that back to here? I don't think it's run without your pants. I don't think that's what your text says. (laughs) All right. Can you take what we've learned this morning and apply it to your particular area? Because there's an alert on. All right, bow with me. And would you, just you and the Lord on this, because your temptation is, though it's common to all, it's uniquely your path right now. And it begins by you saying, just quietly there, Lord, I don't want to keep losing. Lord, I, I want to honor you. So in this moment, in preparation for my time of need, I, I commit, Lord, I will declare my identity in the moment. It may be what I've shared. It may be something you create, but that you would declare some form of in the time of need, I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. I'm an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. That's where it starts. There may be some practical application of removing yourself from time of need. 
removing yourself from a person or a place where you know you constantly fail, to not keep going there. If you know what that is, would you commit to the Lord right now? I'm gonna remove myself. If you don't, invite the Lord. Lord, where do I foolishly keep showing up? For example, if you're wrestling with jealousy, contentment, if you're losing to that, it's likely you need to remove yourself from social media. You ask the Lord, Lord, where do I need to remove myself? And Lord, laying my pride down, I'm going to humbly run like mad. Begins with who we are in Christ. So let me invite you to stand with me together as our prayer. I want to invite you to stand and declare together uh, this declaration of who we are in Christ as children of God.